Motherhood plays an important role in the Bible. It binds the beginning and the end. These stories offer us a glimpse into the heart of God. And so we start at the beginning. Taken from the side of Adam, gifted with bringing forth life, the first woman was named Eve because she was the mother of all living. But she was also a mother in her own right, the first of many mothers to come. Though Sarah's womb was closed, God promised nations and kings would come from her. Ten years pass, and motherhood seems as impossible as the day it was promised. But the Lord is faithful to keep his promises, and Sarah bore a son who made her laugh. Leah was the firstborn, overlooked by her husband Jacob, who gave his heart to her younger sister. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb. Despite Jacob's disdain, she found her motherhood in the Lord. When Pharaoh became angry at the fruitfulness of the Hebrews, Jochebed sacrificed her motherhood for the sake of her son. When Pharaoh's daughter saw the child, she had compassion on him. Because of Jochebed's sacrificial motherhood, the Israelites found freedom. Naomi was a mother who experienced the loss of her sons. Yet she gained a daughter in Ruth who declared, For where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Naomi and Ruth became family by faith. Mary, a virgin and not yet married, was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. The motherhood of this blessed woman was more than the continuation of a family name, but a means for God to bring a savior into the world to save his people from their sins. From the garden to the cross, there have always been mothers. These women paved the way for all women, representing the full spectrum of the ways one could be called mom. Whether a mother in faith, mentorship, adoption, or by birth, you play an important role in the stories of generations to come. To all the Sarahs, Leahs, Jochebeds, and Naomis, Happy Mother's Day. Again, Happy Mother's Day uh, on both campuses uh, to a bunch of lovely ladies in which the Lord desires to grow in the knowledge and the discernment of his will and ways. And we celebrate you today, but more than anything, we want to encourage you in the scriptures. And so uh, whether you're here on the Wills Point campus or you're joining us online or at the Edgewood campus, we're grateful that you're here. And today we're going to dive into a text that you would find in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, you can be turning there. If you're new to church, you're like, I don't have a Bible, we would love to bless you one. Uh, today. And so uh, regardless of who you are, we would love to make sure that you have a Bible in which you can read on a daily basis. Maybe you do have a Bible and you just go, I just don't know how to use it. I don't even know what that looks like. And so let me just explain real quickly. Your Bibles are divided into two sections. One is the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament uh, speaks about a nation called Israel. And out of that nation eventually will become a man. It's called the Messiah. Messiah is named Jesus, uh, oftentimes the most revered name on earth. Uh, The Bible 
uh, speaks of that. And then it gets to the New Testament in which that's outlined. And so uh, the New Testament begins with four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're referred to as the Gospels. Gospel simply means the good news. And so the Old Testament tells you about a nation who will come from a man. Uh, that man will come from that nation named Jesus. Jesus brings the good news. And the good news is this, is that regardless of where you've been, what you've done, God can meet you where you are. That even though you're a sinner, his ways are perfect and he is pure through his son. The judgment that should come to all men is actually placed on the back of his son like a rod. He is punished, he is stricken, he is beaten, and he bleeds. And his blood becomes a, uh, a, an appropriate picture of grace to us. And actually, it's what you would call in the New Testament a propitiation. It is a transfer of God's righteousness to us who are sinners, and God takes our sin and he places it on his son Jesus. And because of that, the New Testament outlines what breaks out and called the early church. And the early church begins to thrive because people are forgiven, they're renewed, and then you see a multiple different letters to encourage the churches that are born based off of the good news that Jesus provides. In order for us to understand the good news and how it came into the world, I think it's appropriate that we would look at the one who actually would bring forth the Christ child. Her name is Mary. Uh, I've been in ministry almost 20 years. This is the first time I've ever publicly taught on Mary. The reason why is because uh, in many of our faiths that you grew up, Mary is venerated and when, uh, in a sense uh, seen as divine. Uh, for many of us, we grew up and we thought that it was a, a custom that maybe we should pray to Mary, that she was uh, on a pedestal where no one else was. Uh, for others of us uh, in this room, including myself, um, I wanted to be so cautious about not venerating Mary that we just didn't talk too much about Mary. Uh, what's crazy is, is that usually we fall on one of the two spectrums. We either venerate Mary and we esteem her too high, or we have too low a view of Mary. And so today we're going to look at Mary, and here's five things that I want you to see as we dive in. All five things, I hope, an encouragement to you in this room, whether you're a male or female, but to you moms. And to you ladies that are going to be married and hopefully one day become a mom, I pray that you'll see some things in this text that oftentimes people don't see, and they're things that should bring encouragement to our heart. And so in Luke chapter 1, on the gospel, the good news that God wants to offer, he begins with the story of a woman named Mary. And it begins in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, prior to that, this, uh, this same angel, angel Gabriel, has gone to a guy named Zechariah and to his wife Elizabeth, who were barren. And he says, the Lord is going to bring forth a son. And uh, Zechariah and his disbelief is actually going to become mute because of his disbelief. He won't be able to speak until this boy is born. Um, and then uh, Elizabeth uh, believes in the Lord and, and what's really been produced. And she She's with excitement and cannot wait for the anticipation of her son, which is one that was prophesied about 700 years before it would ever come to be as the forerunner, the one who would prepare the way. Malachi chapter um, 2 or 3 would also mention him uh, and would be, again, speaking of the forerunner to come, the one who would prepare the way of the Lord. And so God does an incredible miracle in uh, the first part of Luke chapter 1, but he's about to produce another one beginning in verse 26. And so in the 26, it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. The first thing I want you to notice real quickly is that God is going to go to this 
woman named Mary in a place of Nazareth. But here's what's interesting about it. Everything about Mary, as you begin to dive into the first handful of verses, just reminds you of how common this young lady was. When I say common, what I mean was is that she was very ordinary. Um, she, she wasn't highly esteemed. There's no recollection in all of Scripture that would esteem her or venerate her higher than what she is. Here's where she's from, a little town in Nazareth, a little small town, a quaint little village nestled into a, a mountainside uh, north of Jerusalem, uh, probably you know, 50 or 60 miles. And, and this little girl would grow up, and apparently um, she would be... Uh, God's girl, but she's pretty ordinary, pretty common. Her name, Mary, uh, oftentimes in the Jewish culture would be Miriam, is one of many, probably the most common name in all of Jerusalem and Israel and that common land would be the name Mary. Matter of fact, you see the name Mary six or seven times in your New Testament alone. So many times that when you're reading through your Bible, you're like, I don't even know which Mary that this is talking about. Mary's very common name. She was from a very common place. And when I say a common place, meaning that she wasn't rich, uh, she didn't have, uh, she wasn't of great intrinsic value or esteemed outside of the fact that she was created in the image of God, which good news is we're all created in the image of God. She just seems to be an ordinary girl who ultimately must know uh, a little bit about her Bible. And we'll see that shortly, but more than anything, she's pretty common. Uh, She's common in her name, her place, her wealth, everything. She just comes from an ordinary, common family. She is betrothed to a man named Joseph. Joseph... was, was a Jew and ultimately was how the descendancy of Christ would be established was through this man, Joseph. Uh, Mary was most likely, she was not only the cousin of Elizabeth, but she was most likely from the tribe of Levi. Uh, but she was going to marry this, this man who would become the Davidic descendant that God had promised. And so Joseph and Mary are betrothed. Betrothed is kind of like engagement in our culture with a little bit more seriousness. Uh, the reason why is because in that day and time, um, you, you don't just get engaged and then have people send you toasters and, and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, you can send all that stuff back, you break it off. Here, the groom's family has paid a dowry. There's been an acceptance. There is an, there is an actual agreement that has been signed. And, and now they are in a covenant commitment together. The bridegroom is now preparing a place on his father's house that they would live. Meanwhile, the virgin girl um, is staying chaste and pure. She's a reflection of the church, Revelation chapter 19. She is to be fine linen, white and clean. That means she is not to have any sexual relationship outside of this proposal, meaning they should be pure going into it and they should stay pure all the way until they finally see the bridegroom coming once he has the father's house prepared. Once that house is ready, they're going to have a consummation, a wedding feast, and they're going to celebrate and consummate the relationship. And so here's what I want you to realize. This common, ordinary girl named Mary, betrothed to this man, is a virgin, and she is now awaiting the process of her bridegroom, Joseph, to come over to the hill and say, hey, let's consummate this thing. And so what is she doing right now? She is with her father's house, and she should be staying chaste and pure, meaning she has no relationship with this man, Joseph. And you go, well, why is that important? Well, because of how the story goes. In verse 28, it says, And he came to her, meaning Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. 
So here's the cool thing, is that even though Mary seems to be ordinary and common, and that's good news and encouragement to all of us in this room, the second thing is, is that she seems to be favored by God. Matter of fact, in the greeting, look at the greeting, he says, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. I don't know about you, but that should bring great news. And if you look at it in the original language, probably a, a better um, statement outside of, oh, favored one, or another way that it could be perceived is the one who is graciously accepted. So the idea here, when you begin to look at it, the angel appears to her, this common, ordinary young lady, and says, you, one, who has been graciously accepted by the favor of God. That reminds us of Ephesians. That we're made alive, not by our own merit or own standing, but it's by grace through faith in Jesus that you and I are accepted into God. That it's all about grace. Well, it's the same that's true for this, this woman named Mary. She is favored by God graciously, which helps us to not venerate her, to put her up so high because she wasn't without sin herself. She was a normal girl living in a town of Nazareth that God says, I can use you. Then look at her response as the angel appears to her. Verse 29 says that she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And then the angel said to her, but do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Look at that, just reminds you again, the favor of God. Now, when she looks at it and she says she's greatly troubled, you might think, oh, it's great distress, or maybe you would even think doubt. But it's not like the case of Zechariah, which the Lord muted because of his unbelief. This seems to be more of a humility factor, that the Lord is orchestrating in her, and she knows that the Lord is working, and that in her, her unbelief or her disbelief, that she is greatly troubled. And she says, um, how, how is this going to come to be? She's trying to discern it, and the Lord just reminds her, hey, but don't worry, you found favor with God. Now listen, here's what I want you to understand. Mom's leaning in with me. You may say, I seem so ordinary myself. And you may look around at other moms and get caught in the comparison trap and say, I, I wish that I could keep a house that was as clean as they do. How in the world does she do it? You may look around and go, I, I wish that I, I could have my kids be as obedient as their kids. And if you're not careful, you'll get caught in this comparison trap. But here's the good news. Even the one who brought forth the Messiah of the world was ordinary, common. But here's the difference. She had found favor with God. At the end of the day, do you know what the greatest goal of mom should be? Is not to make sure that your kids are obedient, they stand perfectly in line, that they look perfect when they come. At the end of the day, that doesn't matter about some of those things that we worry about. The goal is, is that we would just entreat the favor of God in our lives. Think about that for just a second. Romans 8.31, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That if Christ is in us, ultimately he is for us. Which reminds us later on in Romans chapter 8, what about verse 31? What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Moms, you don't have to be perfect, but if you entreat the favor of the Lord and he is with you, that ultimately is enough for you to be effective in your parenting. Can I get an amen? Like, ladies, you should have been all over that one. Because here's what I'm, what I'm going to realize, is, and I think we miss this sometimes, is at the end of the day, in order for you to be the, the godly parent that, 
that he wants you to be, it has nothing to do with all the things that you think you should do or be doing. It has everything to do with the one in whom is fighting on your behalf. And the Lord is with us. We shouldn't be dismayed. We shouldn't walk in fear or anxiety. We shouldn't wrestle with doubt about who it is that God is wanting um, to raise through us. And here's what you also should know is that one of the greatest contributions you may ever make to the kingdom of God is not something you do, but someone you raise. And if you would begin to realize that you can raise nothing of any value for the Lord without the Lord, then you can begin to just settle in who the Lord has you to be at this particular season in your life. See, at the end of the day, I know that raising kids is hard. I know that having children in diapers is hard. I know that it's a difficult task. And I would assume to say, and maybe I think I'm right, that oftentimes the pressure mounts far more quickly on moms than it does on us dads. And I would just say the anxiety and the fear and some of the emotions that you wrestle with oftentimes come to you ladies at a much quicker pace. And for some of us guys in here, we struggle to understand it because our thought process is, it's fine. It's going to be fine. And you ladies, you wrestle with that. But here's the deal. I think you could also heed the words and not from necessarily your husband, from the Lord, that it's going to be okay because I'm with you. And my spirit guides you and he wants to find favor on you. And that's important. And so this woman is favored. She shows signs of humility. In verse 31, the Lord says, you're gonna conceive and bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He's going to be great. He, listen, this is incredible. He doesn't say, and Mary, you're gonna be great. And you're gonna become the mom of the most high. And hey, Mary, if you look, you're going to be exalted the place of the throne next to your son. That's not what it says. But look what it does say. It says you're going to, you're going to be the mother. You're going to bear a son. His name will be Jesus. He's going to be great. He's worthy of worship. He's going to be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give to him the throne of the father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And what he does there, the angel says, listen, you're going to be the faithful, common servant. The Lord is going to be with you, but what's going to happen is the Christ child is going to be produced through you. And when that Christ child comes, he is going to be exalted. It's going to be John 3 moment. He's going to be high and lifted up. You're going to look to him and whoever looks to him will be saved. Nicodemus, what must I do to be born again? And the Lord's going, you just be born again. You look to the one high and lifted up. That's what this woman produced. And it was a promise and a declaration in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 16 that would eventually come to the Davidic throne to this woman, Mary, through the husband and the betrothal of this guy named Joseph. And then the verse 34, Mary then says to the angel, but how can this be since I'm a virgin? And she's perplexed. And I don't know if she kind of says this jokingly or with a little bit of laughter, a little bit of angst, but what she's basically saying is, God, how are you going to compare How are you going to completely do this when I add no human value to it? We haven't haven't laid together. We've had no relationship together in that way, meaning sexually. And so he goes, what are you going to do? And this is the chance for the Lord to go, I'm going to do what I do. And here's what God has always done. 1 Corinthians 1.27 just helps us realize this. God has always used the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to shame the strong. What God is basically about to do here, he's going to say, Mary, I'm going to use you in 
in all your commonality, a little girl from the town of Nazareth, I am going to conceive in you through the power of the Holy Spirit because I am with you, a son. He's going to be named Jesus. He's the savior of the world. He is the one who will sit on the Davidic throne that will reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And all of this will happen, not because of you, but because of me. It's the same thought about salvation. Salvation doesn't happen based off of what we do or, or what we haven't done, but ultimately what God has done on our behalf. And it's the same thing. God's going to conceive a child through a virgin birth, and it's about what God has done. And then he makes another promise to her. Not only that he would lead her by the Holy Spirit, but look what happens in verse 35. And then the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High God will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And here's the cool thing is you look at the word overshadow there and what it means is that the Holy Spirit would be with her. But it in a sense alludes not only the promise that we would have in scripture, uh, but it kind of gives you a reference to the Old Testament picture of the Shekinah glory of God. And the Shekinah glory of God would dwell in the tabernacle. Later, the Shekinah glory of God would dwell in the temple. But he's even saying here, the Shekinah glory of God dwells not only in Exodus 16, Exodus 19, 24, 34, and 40, but you'll see the Shekinah glory of God even here as it overshadows this young girl, that God's manifestation of his presence is with her, which just kind of reminds us that if she's going to bear the Christ child, she's not going to do it alone, and the Lord is going to overshadow her. And here's the incredible thing, is that even when this girl has doubts or weaknesses, or she thinks that she may, in a sense, have inadequacy, the Lord says, no, but I am with you, and I will overshadow you. Now, here's, lean in real quickly, because I want you to understand Ladies, it does not matter what the Lord is calling you to do in this moment. You cannot effectively parent your child, love your husband, sit with your, your parent um, that is feeble in, in their life. You cannot submit to your boss. You cannot teach kids in Stone Point Kids. You cannot be effective at leading a Bible study group. You cannot do anything that is impossible in your own strength and find victory through God without his presence overshadowing you. At the end of the day, Jesus says the words in John chapter 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches of man remains in me and I am him. He'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And listen, I think one of the greatest struggles that we have as parents and moms, maybe you can attest to this, is that we want to raise godly kids, but we seem to be doing it in our own self-sufficiency and our own self-reliance. And if you don't hear anything else, the Lord is screaming at us through his word of saying, quit doing everything alone. Quit trying to raise your kids in your own power, with your own wisdom, with your own intellect, with your own strength. And allow the Lord's spirit to guide you and be with you. And would you honor him in the way that you raise your kids? Why? Because the things that are impossible with you are possible with God. And I think so many times we try to wrestle with all of this when the Spirit says, no, I want to lead you too. And that's the promise we have in the Scriptures. Skip down to verse 38. Mary um, then replies ultimately to the angel. This is her final response. And she says, God, I just want to be faithful. If you're going to be with me, even though I'm ordinary, I'm just a gal from Nazareth, if you're going to be with me, 
and your presence is going to overshadow me, then I'm your girl. And look at her response. Here's what she says. And behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel then departs. Why? Because there's nothing else to say. The angel doesn't have to, uh, in a sense, come behind her and support her. He doesn't have to encourage her. Why? Because the wrestling is over. And here's what her response is. If this is the Lord's will in my life, then I am am your servant. I am your gal. I'll do whatever it is that you call me to be. And here's, in a sense, what Romans 12, 1 and 2, just calling us to be sacrificial in our lifestyle. She's sacrificial in hers. And this is what she, in a sense, in words that I would say, she says, my body is yours. My womb is yours. My life is yours. If this is your way, then I want to be a part of it. And then she says, let's move forward. Mary, at a teenage, uh, a teenager in her youth, probably uh, anywhere from 15 to 17 years old, she basically says, I'm going to forsake all of my plans, and I'm going to trust you, and I'm going I'm to follow you. I mean, she had plans to go uh, to, you know, to the college in Jerusalem, right? Uh, she wanted to do something besides be a homemaker, wanted to be a business professional, no, I mean, here's what you see. You don't see any of those plans. What she says is, Lord, if this is the way you're going to accomplish your divine purposes and you're willing to use an ordinary girl like me and you promise that you'll never leave me, that you'll never forsake me, that you'll be with me throughout the whole process, then I'm your girl. How many of us moms in here would just say, God, if you're going to use me, I want to be your girl. And listen, I want you to realize that you raising your child is a significant contribution to the kingdom of God when you do it well. And we ought to do it well. And what you ought to know is, is that this woman, Mary, the reason that she was able to do it well is because she knew the word of God. Matter of fact, she's going to go um, a journey away and she's going to see her cousin Elizabeth who happens to be the mom of John the Baptist, the forerunner, the one who prepares the way. They have a meet and greet. It's a little gal's party. They uh, celebrate. They're both excited and giddy. Um, what's incredible about that is that when she gets there, she's going to have an incredible response and Mary is going to begin to sing a song of praise. And, and she, she says this, and what's interesting is, is her response is called the, the Magnificat. And it's just a magnificent song of praise. What's interesting is, is it almost goes hand in hand with the one that Sam, or Samuel's mom, Hannah, said and prayed in her response of having a child. The very thing that we talked about earlier in dedication. She would respond, and she responds with the word. And I just want to read it to you, because at the end of the day, the greatest thing about Mary was not that she was ordinary. It wasn't just that the presence of God was with her, but she knew that not only the Lord overshadowed her, but why did she know this? Because the Lord's word had given her that promise. So many of us in this room don't know the word of God, and we certainly aren't using it, and we certainly aren't praying it in our, in our lives, in our children's lives. But she did. In verse 46, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God for my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. From behold, from now on to generations, he will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. In verse 46 and 47, she exclaims the joy in, in receiving the blessing of God, that God would look upon her, not in her loftiness, not in what she has to offer, but she says, he's looked on me, humble 
I'm humble and she's going to use, he's going to use me. That people are going to call me blessed. They're going to see that God used me and they're going to be reminded of God's faithfulness. Verse 49, they're going to see the mighty God that I serve in his holy name. And then in verse 50 and following, he, she just begins to outline the characteristics of God. And here it is. He, O oh Lord, has been merciful, right? It is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Isn't that true? God says, listen, I'll bring a, 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 a haughty fall to those that are proud. But he goes, those who are humble, he goes, I'll gladly lift them up. What's he looking for? He's looking for faithful servants who will be humble. In verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. Why? Because he's the bread of life. He provides sustenance and strength. And the rich, he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned home. Here's what happens. It's because Mary knew the words she would celebrate. And in her praise of about 10 verses there, she would make 12 Old Testament references to God's strength, salvation, and support. And she would declare the goodness of God. And here's what I want just to remind you of. Jesus would caution us and other people about venerating Mary. Matter of fact, there was a woman in the New Testament in uh, Luke chapter 11 who would come to Jesus and uh, he says, hey, um, he's talking, and then she says, hey, what is true blessedness? And she talks about Mary. This is her response. She goes, I'm surely blessed is the womb who that bore you, speaking of Mary, and the breast in which you nursed. And then Jesus' response, listen to this. He goes, blessed rather are those who hear the word and then keep it. So this woman goes, well, surely Mary should be venerated. Surely we should esteem him. And Jesus' response is, no, blessed are those who are like my mother Mary, who knew the word and then kept it. James 1. Don't be merely hears the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Mothers, can I just tell you, the greatest thing you need today is sustenance from God's word. And I pray more than you'll have a steak or a baked potato or more that you'll enjoy the delight and the delicacy of a bunt cake out there in the lobby waiting for you that today that you would find a handful of moments alone just to read Luke chapter one as it speaks about the Magnificat. As you look at the magnificent beauty of God, would you just spend a few moments on that? Drink a cup of coffee, enjoy a bunt cake and open the word of God and then say, Lord, would you help me to delight in your word, the truth in which you give me? Because at the end of the day, I am an ordinary gal who wants to be used by you. If you'll lead me by your spirit, then I'm willing and I want to be your servant. So teach me how to do that through the word of God and dwell on it richly, and then go and live it out. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we love you, and I pray that you would help us to be a faithful servant to you. Thank you for moms. Thank you for the difference they make. I pray today that you would remind them of this incredible lady named Mary, a young girl who gave up everything in her life to be chosen by you to bring forth the good news to the world. We thank you for the Messiah that she produced. We thank you, Lord, that it was done by your sovereign will, by your spirit's discernment and leadership in her life. And we pray, God, that we would learn something from her, that you can use ordinary people, 
that as long as you're with them and that your spirit overshadows them, that they can be used mightily. That not only can you find favor on them, but you can give them strength. And if we're faithful as your servant and we are inclined to know the word of God, you can use us to raise children who will honor you, love you, and be faithful to you. And that may be the greatest contribution we make to our society. And so I pray that you would help us long for those things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.